Hello and welcome to Season 2 of Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights, Episode 1, Shakatala. If this is your first time listening to Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights, you might want to listen to at least a few episodes from Season 1 so that you can get the full story. My name is Marin Langdon Spillane, and today we are thrilled to welcome back special guest artist Daniel Pertiera. Please check the show notes for links to Daniel's amazing artwork and coloring page. I also want to give a big thank you to Lucy and Abe and to Lily and Willow for joining us on Patreon. You should be receiving some Fad Pack stickers shortly, and we can't wait to see you at the live show. Before we get started, we wanted to introduce you to another really great podcast and fellow Kids Listen member, Mystery Recipe. Promo, promo, getting ready for the promo, gotta talk fast. Hi, I'm Molly. And I'm Mitzi, and we want to tell you all about our podcast, Mystery Recipe from America's Test Kitchen Kids. It's about cooking. And it's jam-packed with trivia, science, and of course, food. Each week features a different kitchen ingredient. Which all leads up to a grand finale cook-along. Will you be able to guess what our mystery recipe is? Listen to Mystery Recipe today, anywhere you get your podcasts. And until then, keep on cooking. Gah, did it! 30 seconds went so One thing that I love about stories that you listen to is that everyone imagines a story a little bit differently. I know how it looks in my head, but I love to see how other people imagine things. So I encourage all of you listeners to grab your favorite supplies and draw, sculpt, paint, or create anything that you are inspired to while listening. Then you can share your creation with us during one of our live shows, post on our Facebook page, or email it to us at PetraTheDragon at gmail.com. And now let us begin Season 2, Episode 1 of Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights. Shakatala. Previously on Fad Pack, Beatrice, a mother dragon, and her five children, Azrael, Petra, Edwin, Lyle, and Smudge, have set off on a quest to find Beatrice's missing egg, which they believe was stolen by the fairies and ponies. They are joined by knight in training Talora Shamsa and Tom Thomas, a stable boy. During their adventure, Beatrice suffers a near-fatal stab wound from a unicorn. Tom, Talora, and the draglings unite the fairies, ponies, and the unicorn in magic to save Beatrice's life. However, in return, the ponies ask for Beatrice's help as they are being terrorized by a powerful dragon, Shakatala. Beatrice reveals that Shakatala is the dragling's father, whom they have never met. Azriel's wings beat the air powerfully, and he tried to think of nothing other than how the wind felt rushing past his body, to hear nothing other than the deep whoosh of his wings cutting through the sky. Yet try as he might, he couldn't stop thinking about the conversation he just had with Beatrice, his mother, or hear her words in his head over and over. I didn't tell you about your father, because there wasn't anything to say. Father dragons are not, well, not usually, a part of their children's lives. Azriel and his siblings had been angry and confused after learning that there was a dragon terrorizing the rainbow herd of ponies, and that that dragon was, in fact, their own father, a father they'd never met, talked about, or even heard of. Azriel's siblings, Petra, Edwin, and Lyle, had all seemed to accept their mother's explanation. After all, none of them had ever really thought to ask about their other parent, because, as Beatrice said, it was normal for draglings to be raised by their mother alone. But somehow Azriel couldn't let it go. 
their mother should have told them anyway. Who was this Shakatala, his so-called father? How could his mother have chosen him? Had he always been some pony-terrorizing monster, or had he... had he... gone bad somehow? And something else was bothering Azrael, too. It had never occurred to him that he, a male dragon, was different from his sisters, that he might have a different life from them. Now it was all he could think about. He felt angry, unprepared, confused, scared. Would he be that kind of father? Could he? Would he go bad, too? Beatrice had seemed to know what he was thinking. The last time I saw your father was almost two years ago, Azrael, she had said. And it's true, he seemed different, but not like a monster, not like someone who would be... I'm also shocked by what he's doing. Different how, Mom? Petra had asked. Beatrice had carefully tracked Azrael's restless pacing as she answered slowly. Azrael, I suppose you're old enough now to learn about this. You and Petra both. We are mountain dragons. We are drawn to the natural resources within our mountains. Gemstones, metals, minerals, and so on. At a certain age, they give us strength, power. If we were back at our mountain, you might feel a change inside of you, the power of the mountain itself. Some mountains are considered richer or more valuable than others, and it is not uncommon for dragons to fight one another, to try and claim another's mountain, for the riches, but also for the glory. Dragons, particularly male dragons, can be especially drawn toward glory. And... Well, your father believed he could be the most powerful dragon in all of Dunaya. And when I saw him last, he had succeeded. He had just defeated Clamorine, a ferocious dragon and the ruler of Pike, considered the richest mountain of all. Shakatala was boastful, I thought, more so than usual. He seemed obsessed with his power, his status. He was different, but not alarmingly so. "'Wait, did you take our mountain from another dragon, Mom?' asked Edwin. "'No, I found Scrag Mountain, and it has always been enough for me. "'But did any other dragons try to take it from you, and then you had to destroy them?' interrupted Lyle. "'No, Lyle, no. I chose Scrag Mountain because it has no value to other dragons. "'It is valuable to me because it is our home, but not all dragons are like me.' "'Well, have you had any battles with other dragons?' asked Lyle, hopefully. Lyle, you are not listening to me. I have chosen to focus on my home and my family rather than casting outward to increase my own glory. Yeah, Lyle mused thoughtfully. And we need a lot of focus. I mean, look at Smudge. He's just basically eating that tree over there. I don't know if he should be doing that. It's really hard to get splinters out of your tongue. Azrael had shot a stream of flame at a nearby bush, making everyone around him freeze. He wasn't usually one to lose his temper like this, and he could tell he had everyone's attention. So you're telling us that our father just went around beating up other dragons and stealing their mountains and resources to make himself more powerful, and you still thought he was a good mate? That makes no sense, Mom! Oh, Azriel, listen, Shakatala was just doing what many dragons do. It's the natural, normal course of things. Stop saying normal! Hurting other creatures for no reason isn't normal! I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I just meant that he wasn't viewed as unkind or unjust when I met him, when we chose each other as mates. He was strong, yes, 
and powerful, yes, but when he conquered a new mountain, he cared well for it. He did his job, and his mountains flourished. He was respected by all, and I, I respected him too. Did you love him? Edwin wanted to know. Or do you love him still? Edwin, please. We are not humans. You have listened to too many of Tom's songs. Love is not just for humans, Mom. I'm in love with Moonbeam. Edwin, scolded Petra, you don't even know what you're talking about. Moonbeam is a pony and you are a dragon. So, Mom, what happened to him then? What made him change? I can love who I want, mumbled Edwin. I don't know what happened to him, Petra, Beatrice answered. I just don't know. Asriel had snorted again, releasing more fire, which Lyle hastily extinguished with his tail. Nothing his mother was saying made any sense. It was all so confusing. And why were they just learning about all of this now? He had had enough. He abruptly leapt into the sky then, flying away from his family. Asriel! He heard his mother call out, but he ignored her. He needed space. He needed to get some answers. Now he was flying so hard his lungs hurt, trying to forget everything but the one thing he knew he had to do. He had to find Shakatala, his father, and talk to him. Maybe there was a misunderstanding. Maybe his father could answer the questions that his mother seemed to be avoiding. Asriel would someday, someday soon, become an adult dragon. Maybe even a father himself. Was this the kind of father he wanted to be? When he came of age, would he suddenly want to fight other dragons for their mountains, abandon his mate and her eggs, and never know his own children? Of course not, he answered himself. That's not who I am. But despite the certainty, he couldn't shake the nagging worry that as he grew, he would change, lose himself, become something he didn't want to be. Hey parents. Yeah, you. Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you. And for us. As genuine, all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy Award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. have any say in the matter? In the two weeks since Beatrice had been brought back from the edge of death and the dragons Tom and Talora had been resting in the grasslands with the ponies, every day Asriel half expected his father to show up, cutting through the skies in pursuit of the ponies, and he imagined what he would do if that happened. Would he hide? Would he confront his father, protect the ponies? He didn't know. But Chakatala had never surfaced. Azrael pumped his wings faster, scanning the landscape below, hoping he was going in the right direction. Moonbeam, their closest pony friend in the rainbow herd, had told Azrael days ago where Shakatala's lair was, and Azrael thought he should be there by now. He knew that if his mother or his siblings knew what he was doing, they would be upset, tell him to stop. Petra would probably ask to go with him. He knew his mother would be worrying right now. They all would be. But he didn't care. Let them worry. Ah, there. Asriel could just see the river bend snaking back on itself with a steep cliff face nearby. The lair was close. He took a deep breath and angled himself downwards. When he reached the ground, he landed more forcefully than he meant to. The tingling in his wings reminded him how hard he had flown. Yet instead of feeling tired, he felt exhilarated. He was taking matters into his own talons now. He was more than capable of doing this. 
As he steadied himself and looked around him, he was struck by the silence. There was a gentle rustle from the tall grasses and a low murmur from the stream, but everything else was perfectly still. No bird song, he noted, no squirrels chattering, no insects humming. Despite himself, he shivered. Asriel scanned the cliffside slowly and could see no sign of habitation. He walked along the base of the cliff, looking all around him as he did so. He was getting nervous. What was he going to say? Would his father listen to him? And Shakatala wouldn't hurt him, would he? Asriel was finding the silence harder and harder to bear. What did it mean? Had Shakatala eaten everything in the area, or were the creatures just hiding? Were they hiding from Asriel, too? Were the things that lived here at the edge of the grasslands learning to fear all dragons? Asriel paused to take a deep breath. He had to get a hold of himself. He continued on until, just ahead of him, about halfway up the face of the cliff, a wide, yawning hole opened up above his head. Before he could stop to think too much, Asriel launched into the air and flew to the hole, awkwardly landing just inside, scrabbling with his claws to find purchase along the edge. He paused and listened. Still, silence darkness. He only heard the wind, the grass, the stream. He took a few cautious steps inside, letting his eyes adjust to the gloom. He sensed the cave opening wider before him, tilting downward slightly. Should he call out? Maybe this was the wrong place, the wrong cliff. Just as he was about to back out and look around him for another likely place, he heard a shifting sound deeper within the cave and the scuttling of small rocks rolling and falling. Then he heard a deep, low sigh. Azrael froze. His heart was pounding, and now he couldn't have spoken even if he tried. But he didn't have to, because from deep within the cave, on the heels of that rasping sigh, there came a voice. So, Azrael, you've come to find me at last. Why don't you come in? Like this? Talora dug her fingers into the heavily muscled back of a pale purple pony and looked at Tom for approval. That's good, Talora. You're getting the hang of it. But don't ask me. You should always check in with the animal you're caring for to see how your work is affecting them. Talora glanced at the pale purple pony, whose name was Petalbright. Um, is this okay? She asked. Petalbright's eyes were closed, and Talora hoped she wasn't hurting him. Mmm, <laughs> yum. Petalbright answered blissfully. Tom laughed. Oh, yeah, I'd say you're doing just fine there. Horse massage, uh, well, in this case, pony massage, is all about just listening to the animal. Over the past two weeks, as Beatrice rested and gathered her strength, Tom and Talora, the only humans for a hundred miles, and the dragons had been spending a lot of time amongst the ponies of the rainbow herd, learning their ways and enjoying their company. Tom was teaching Talora all of his techniques for caring for horses, though they always had to be careful to substitute the word ponies to avoid giving offense, and the ponies were especially fond of pony massage. The younger ponies also enjoyed having their manes and tails braided in the intricate styles that Tom had learned from his years of caring for horses back in Durga. He and Talora spent hours taking requests for hairstyles, massages, and general pony maintenance at their pony spa, as Edwin had dubbed it. 
She had recently become obsessed with all things human and had learned the word spa from Talora, who had vague memories of such things from the town where she had grown up. At first, Edwin had wanted to help, but when the ponies looked at her talons, they had politely requested that she assume another role at the spa. So Edwin had appointed herself chief spa organizer, and Lyle was her deputy. Now, as they approached Tom, Talora, and Petalbright, Edwin cleared her throat importantly. <clears throat> we have to, you know, move it along here, okay? Firestreak and Daisy Wind have been waiting five minutes past their appointment time, and they both want the full mane of mini braids. You know how long that takes. Yeah, Lyle interjected eagerly, especially if Talora is doing it. Hey, Talora exclaimed. Sorry, I just meant, you know, well, you're no Tom. Talora couldn't help but laugh. Well, that's certainly true. Petalbright opened his eyes, which looked somewhat unfocused, and heaved a happy sigh. Thanks, Talora. That was a great massage. I'll be back tomorrow, usual time? Actually, no, Petalbright. You have to come back one hour later than usual tomorrow, spoke up Edwin. Swishwind had an unfortunate incident with some burrs and needs a complete tail detangle service tomorrow. So we had to squeeze her in last minute. Okay, no problem. Thanks, Edwin. And thank you for your busyness, Petalbright. Business, corrected Talora. And thank you for your business, Petalbright. As Petalbright staggered away, Lyle nudged Edwin and tilted his head toward Firestreak and Daisywind, two young ponies who were waiting excitedly to have their manes braided. Furball the kitten was perched importantly on the back of Firestreak, busily kneading away, looking for all the world like a tiny masseuse. Lyle looked concerned. Um, Edwin, do you think Furball knows what he's doing? I mean, he's definitely trying to massage Firestreak, and uh, I don't think Tom actually trained him, you know? I mean, didn't you say that every toy bee at the pony spa has to undergo proper training? <sighs> employees, Lyle. They're called employees. And good point. I'm so glad you caught that. Quality control is so important, especially when you're just starting out as a new business. She sidled over to Furball. Okay, you little fluffin' muffin. You have to leave Firestreak alone, okay? You don't know what you're doing, and your little claws are very sharp. Furball hissed at Edwin and bopped her nose with a teeny paw. Edwin giggled and blew him a kiss. Oh, Furball, you can come massage me if you want. Furball leapt onto Edwin's back and rode her happily as she walked back to Tom and to Laura. Okay, you two, she called over her shoulder to the waiting ponies. Come on down and let's get those manes all braided up. As Firestreak and Daisy Wind pranced over to Tom and to Laura, Petra swept up, looking agitated. Lyle, Edwin, do either of you know where Asriel could have gone? He just left. He never does that. We know, Petra, we were there, Edwin said. Yeah, and you already asked us, Lyle added. We don't know. Do you want me to go look for him, though? I mean, I'm kind of busy at the pony spa right now, but after we close, I could totally go and find him for you. No, snapped Petra. I just, I just don't have a good feeling about this, that's all. He'll come back, Petra, Talora offered cautiously. I think he just needs some time alone to sort through everything. She could tell Petra was in no mood to be argued with. Petra growled. I guess. Ugh! Snake-bitten pile of mouse guts! She stomped off, muttering. Edwin shook her head wisely. Petra does not like it when Azriel has secrets from her. Tom, who was carefully dividing Firestreak's mane into small sections, sighed. That makes sense. It's hard when someone you care about doesn't tell you what they're thinking. I mean, I know from my experience that it can make you feel really lonely. Talora glanced at Tom, who furrowed his brow and began furiously braiding. "'Are you thinking about my teeny right now, Tom?' she asked. "'No. Well, yeah. 
I mean, I know we haven't known each other long, and he's a unicorn, right? So of course he doesn't owe me anything, but... But you're sad he left. Yeah. Just a few days after working to heal Beatrice, and as soon as he himself was fully recovered, Mintini had approached Tom with Carnelian, Diamond Wing of the Crystal Fairies. Mintini wants me to give you this, Tom Tom, Carnelian had said, lifting a small, smooth stone from a pouch around their neck. Even though it was easily half the weight of Carnelian themselves, the fairy held it easily. He says this will call him back to you. If you need him, he will come. What? Where's he going? Tom had asked. Oh, Tommy, I forgot. You don't understand anything. Mintini is leaving. He is a unicorn and he doesn't have time to be your best friend. Did he say that? asked Tom. No, I did. But he did say I must find them and prepare, which is just so unicorn. I don't know what he's talking about, so don't even ask me. Find who and prepare for what? Tom didn't know what to say, so he just thrown his arms around Mintini's neck and tried to choke down a sob, because sobbing on a unicorn's neck just didn't seem like a very dignified thing to do. Tom didn't understand why, after less than a week of knowing this creature, he should feel so desperately attached to him, but there it was. Maybe it was the fact that Tom's ancestors were the ancient Tomasi, or unicorn riders, and connecting with these creatures, something that no human had done for hundreds of years, was in his blood. Whatever it was, it didn't matter. He was sad to say goodbye. Gathering himself, Tom had pulled away from Mintini and looked down at the stone, open-mouthed, turning it over and over in his palm. But what? I mean, how will I... When do I... How will I know? Oh, there it is, Tom Tom's signature gaping fish mouth that we all know and love. No more questions, silly fish boy. You'll know when the time is right. Mintini has to leave, and you have to deal with it. Carnelian flew back to the tree, and Tom had flung his arms around Mintini for one last hug. And then he was gone. Tom hadn't told to Laura or anyone else about the stone. He had wrapped it carefully inside a piece of cloth and was carrying it tucked in a pocket inside his shirt. Sometimes he thought he could feel it burning hot against his skin. He couldn't tell if he was imagining it or not. Tom, I'm sorry, but you have to snap out of it. Edwin stamped her foot, breaking Tom out of his reverie. There are about, I don't know, at least 76 more braids to go here. Even Talora is beating you. Tom smiled at Edwin and hastily began braiding again. Right. (laughs) Sorry, Edwin. I'll pick up the pace. Edwin nodded briskly. Good. See that you do. Okay, Lyle. Time to go recruit more costumers. Lyle and Edwin charged enthusiastically off in the direction of the grazing pony herd. Just above the pony spa, perched daintily in a tree, were the fairies Carnelian, Amethyst, and Citrine. After it was clear that Beatrice was going to make a full recovery, Carnelian had sent the rest of their fairies back to their cave, keeping only their two closest advisors with them to keep an eye on things. Carnelian stretched and reclined against a slender tree branch, wrapping their shimmering wings around their body. It is nice here, isn't it? I mean, for a place that isn't a magical fairy cave full of sparkling jewels, of course. I like it a lot, Amethyst said dreamily, looking fondly down at Lyle. You just like it because you want to keep that Lyle dragon as your pet, Amethyst, Citrine pointed out. And you're just jealous of my really amazing new pet, Citrine. Citrine rolled their eyes. 
Why are we still here exactly? They asked moodily. I know you wanted us to make sure the dragon was recovered and everything, but Mantini's gone. Beatrice is all better, and that great big bad dragon hasn't come back to eat more ponies, so surely they have everything under control. Citrine, once again you have failed to see the underlying truth of the situation, snapped Carnelian. I don't know if you just observed the heated exchange take place between Azrael and his mother. I mean, I'm not deaf. I heard it, replied Citrine. Well, then, you would have noted that young Azrael is experiencing some angst about his identity, his role in life, and who he wants to be. Gross said Amethyst. He also flew off in a huff, and it's obvious where he's gone. To the river for a bath to wash off those gross, gross feelings? No, Amethyst, snapped Carnelian. He has gone to find his father, and he will find his father, and do you know what will happen then? Hmm, mused Amethyst. Either he joins his father in his evil pursuit of pony-eating and power-grabbing, or he rejects his father, which will cause more conflict and potentially a violent act of retribution. Bingo, said Carnelian. Oh, I don't want to miss that, Citrine clapped their hands together. Carnelian unfurled their wings and took flight, hovering above the other two fairies and looking down thoughtfully at the ponies, draglings, and humans below. I don't understand what's happening right now. Me neither, interrupted Amethyst, looking skeptically at the pony spa. Well, that's normal for you, Amethyst, but it is not normal for me, Carnelian, the diamond wing of the crystal fairies, to not understand what is going on. So, I need to stay until I do, until I know what our role is here. This dragon, Beatrice, she... she is something. This moment is important. We must observe. We must wait. Asriel should return soon, or not. Either way, we will have a lot more information to be getting on with. Asriel's breath caught in his throat. The voice seemed to echo inside his head, a deep, rumbling, rich voice with an edge of something that Asriel found equally thrilling and terrifying. He tried to gather his thoughts as he responded in his boldest manner. Thank you. Yes, I... I will come in. Azrael took a few uncertain steps into the cave, squinting to make out the owner of the voice in the darkness within. There was a rasping, tisking sound. Oh, now, come, Azrael. You can do much better than that. When your father invites you in, boy, you come in. Sorry, I am... I can't see very well. Can't see? Are you a dragon, son, or a little tiny butterfly? Azrael hesitated. He had been taught never to release fire into the dark. Dragons have better night vision than people, but not enough to see fully, therefore you never knew what you might accidentally ignite. He could hear his mother's cautious voice in his head, but he decided to ignore it and released a burst of flame, perhaps slightly larger than he meant to in his nervousness. The stream of flame hit the floor of the cave, illuminating the scene in front of him in a yellow, flickering glow. Azrael almost choked on the tail end of his flame as Shakatala emerged from the gloom, gigantic, shining, terrible. A wide smile snaked across his face as he looked down at Azrael, and Azrael could see, just before the flame fizzled out against the stone floor, that his father's face was crisscrossed in ragged scars 
There now, what do you think, eh, boy? <laughs> what do you think of your dear old dad? Azrael couldn't speak. He had never seen a dragon that size before. He knew that male dragons were bigger. This was true with most animal species and had nothing to do with strength or superiority, as Petra had been reminding him since they were small. But this dragon was enormous in a way Azrael couldn't comprehend. He had never seen another adult dragon other than his mother, and she was nothing compared to Shakatala. Speechless, I see. It was brave of you to come. And foolish. Nothing enters my cave and lives, except family. You, of course, are welcome. Unless you're here to steal my armor. <laughs> are you? You have armor? Azrael finally managed his first question. Shakatala chuckled. Here, give me some of that flame again, boy. Azrael did as he was told, and this time his flame met a giant torch, which Shakatala gripped in his talons. The tip ignited immediately, and he watched as his father carefully rested the torch against the cave wall. I generally find humans to be worthless, but these torches are nice. I was glad to find one in this cave. Shakatala turned his eyes to meet Azrael's, and Azrael was finally able to fully take his father in. It wasn't just the size that made him striking. His coloring was a rich, almost brownish red, the color of dried blood, but more luminous and shimmering. His spikes were a shining black and almost looked as though they had been polished and sharpened, as did his talons. His eyes were an unhealthy-looking glowing yellow, and they narrowed as they took in Azrael's form. Now you can see my armor, eh? Well, what do you think of it? Shakatala swayed from side to side, and Azrael turned his attention to the suit of armor that adorned him. He had never heard of a dragon wearing armor before. They didn't need it. Their scales, spikes, and bones were nearly impenetrable. The armor covered Shakatala's entire torso, coming up along his neck and wrapping around each of his legs. It looked to be made of solid gold. It was embedded with gemstones of every color, and as he swayed, the gemstones danced in the firelight, catching little bits of fire and holding them tight. Azrael was mesmerized. He had never seen anything so beautiful in his life. The way the gems and the shining metal clasped the reflection of the fire to them, it was almost like Shakatala himself was covered in hundreds of tiny, licking flames. Azrael wanted to get closer, to touch it, to rest his head against it, his whole body even. He suddenly shook his head and took a step back. What was wrong with him? Ah, you feel it, don't you? You feel the power. Good boy. Shakatala laughed and Azrael almost smiled in spite of himself. His father's laugh was warm and rich and made him feel oddly safe. He managed finally to speak. Yes, I... I feel it. Where did you get that? I've never seen a dragon in armor before. Now, that's a good story, son. But for the time being, let's just say it was a trade. Now then, Azrael, I assume you didn't come here just to see my armor. What can I do for you today? This was Azrael's moment. He had to get the answers he had come for. He spoke the first thing that came to mind. Why are you attacking the ponies? The rainbow herd is harmless. They're kind and interested in healing and... Healing! Shakatala laughed again. What has your mother been teaching you? Yes, healing. They are creatures just like us, and they don't deserve what you're doing to them. 
A dragon has to eat. A dragon can eat fish or elk or deer or rabbits. Oh, those little tidbits aren't enough for the likes of me. If I had to fill my belly with fish, I'd be hunting day and night. A nice fat pony, on the other hand, now that will last me almost all day. Azrael winced, thinking of Moonbeam and Starfire and the other ponies in the herd. What's the matter? You have a weak stomach? Tell me, son, how is eating a pony any different than eating an elk? Is it because they have pretty colored tails and they look beautiful when they run? Is that it? No, I, no, they're just, they're different. That's all, they're, they're smart and kind and yes, you've said. But if you ever took the time to get to know a rabbit or a goat, you might find the same is true of them. Ah, but who could be bothered? It's the food chain, Asriel, and we're at the top. You should enjoy it. Asriel shook his head. He felt confused. He loved animals, but he'd certainly eaten them. He was having trouble gathering his thoughts. This never happened to him. He tried again. The ponies, they helped save Mom's life. In return, they asked for our help in getting rid of you. Will you go? Shakatala erupted in laughter. Ha 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 That is rich. Do you know, boy, that I am the most powerful dragon alive? I took the riches of Pike from the mighty Clamorine even before I had my armor. Do you see the scars on my face? I have never once been driven from my roost. And now, with the riches of the mountain strapped to my hide, I have more strength than any dragon who has ever lived. No one, nothing can defeat me. Do you think I'll be driven from my lair by children and ponies? Azrael was a bit frightened now. He felt like he needed to change the subject. Did you ever want to meet us? Uh, me, Petra, Edwin, Lyle, and Smudge? I mean, have you ever wanted to? I've been busy. Despite his fear and confusion, Azrael was feeling angry again. But did you at least ever wonder about us? Did you ever want to... to be with us? Why do you care, Azrael? Shakatala's tone was soft, amused even. I don't know, I just... I wanted to know if when I'm grown, I'll... I'll fly around devouring pretty ponies and not carrying a hide for your family? Well, I'll have to wait and see, won't we? Is that why you came? You're afraid you're going to turn out just like your bad old dad. No! Yes, I don't... I don't know. I don't know why I came. Azriel was so frustrated he wanted to release another blast of fire, but he stopped himself this time. It's just... Aren't you ever lonely? Shakatala threw back his head and roared out laughter. Azriel could see his sharp white teeth glinting in the firelight. Lonely? Ha! <laughs> you are too much, my son. Too much. And you have a lot to learn about being a dragon. Shakatala paused and his face grew more serious. If you like, I could teach you. Teach me? I... what? Stick with me. My boy, stick with your father, and I'll show you all about what it really means to be a dragon. You have potential. 
Azrael wanted to laugh in his father's face, to turn and fly out of the cave, but instead he found himself staring at Shakatala's armor, once again mesmerized by its dazzling light. Shakatala paused, and when he spoke again, his voice was low and full of promise. You feel it, don't you? The strength in my armor. You want this treasure, this power. Azrael nodded. There was no point pretending it wasn't true. The longer he stayed in this cave, the more he wanted the armor. He wanted it for himself. He wanted the power he could instinctively feel emanating from it. His father's voice curled around him like a warm breeze. If you stay with me, Azrael, if you stay, I will show you how to claim treasure of your own. Together we can be the two most powerful dragons in the sky in all of Denia, father and son. Isn't that what you want? To be together? To be a family? Azrael looked into his father's face, breathless. Shakatala gave him a mischievous grin, then raised a talon to a spot on his armor just below his neck. He dug his talon in, and a small gem popped out and fell with a clatter to the ground. He nudged it toward Azrael. Here you go, Azrael. This one is for you. A little deposit toward your future wealth. A little something from your father. Azrael stared down at the gemstone. It was blue. Could it be a sapphire or aquamarine? He wasn't as good with stones as he was with living things. It was small, about the size of his eye, but it radiated warmth and strength. He scooped it up in one of his talons and held it in his hand, feeling the warmth from it radiate throughout his body. How could something so small be so powerful? He watched the firelight dance in it, flickering and jumping as it did all along his father's armor. He thought, as he gazed into its limitless depths, that he had never wanted anything more in his entire life. Hello again. If you'd like to know what happens next, please join us for episode two, The Bone-Eyed Spider. If you have any questions, comments, or artwork you'd like to share, please email PetraTheDragon at gmail.com. Petra handles all of our communication for us, and even though her talents are sharp, she is getting really good at typing. If you are enjoying Fadpack, there are a few simple and fun ways to support the show. If you can leave a rating or a review on the device that you're listening from, go for it. We would love that. This is a great way to help others find the show, and it really means a lot to us and to Petra. You can also join us on Patreon or buy a ticket to one of our live Zoom shows where you'll be the first to hear the new episodes, share your drawings or thoughts about the show, and chat with other listeners. For tickets to the live show, please visit dirtroadtheater.com slash fadpack. And now we'd like to share some moments from our live show. Okay, sorry. We didn't realize we were muted. I just made a whole speech and no one heard it. Welcome, everyone. We're so excited to be here and to see you all. I would love to give a big welcome to Dan, who is our artist for this episode. He's here today to talk to us. Hi, Dan. Hello. Thank you so much. I am a really huge fan of this illustration. Glad you like it. How did you come up with what he would look like? How did you decide? Did you discover as you went along or did you have a picture in your head from the beginning? 
well, one of the things that I find is that I have an image in my head and I have to keep compromising to actually make it work because I'll spend minutes, hours, just trying to translate what I have in my head into something that's actually visually in front of me. Mm -hmm. Along the way, I keep messing it up. I keep making mistakes, but I keep tinkering. Okay, I... I can't get the pose right. Okay. If I have it posed like this, the arm gets in the way and I can't do this. Just over the course of many, many iterations, just failing and failing, something eventually comes out. Finally had one sketch that was like, yes, there it is. Got it. Okay. Build on that. He's terrifying. <laughs> he is. He's, so He's a bad man. Yeah. Hi, Isaac. I have I, I haven't finished it yet, but it's a dinosaur. terrifying it looks like are you gluing some paper on is the dinosaur itself paper and you're gluing it onto the other paper the background yeah i glued it on so i could hold it easier yeah that makes sense good thinking graceland did you want to share something or ask a question this is a chameleon it's like Mm -hmm. a a chameleon unicorn that lives in the water a chameleon that's a cool name i think that all the pony names and the idea of the pony spa was just genius and that was awesome (laughs) i agree i enjoy the pony names too ryan i was just doodling at first and then i realized that if i add a couple more flowers it can actually stand for like the dragon family (laughs) oh that's cool it's it's part of chocotala's arm is that's amethyst no I just, I said, and this. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think anyone's drawn Amethyst yet. Very nice. Wow. Thanks, Oliver. And if it was Amethyst, it would be very nice. Yeah. Good one, Graceland. Okay, Poppy, you've been waiting very patiently. I, I made this. Oh, wow. Nice. I'm nice. honored. <laughs> So that is the coloring page from the last time Dan did an illustration from us, right? From from the last, what was that, episode 12? 13. 13. Oh, good memory. Yeah. So we've got Tom in the fairy cave. Oh, nice, Rowan. I see what character was Shakatala. Shakatala is very pleased to hear that. Hello? I made this. I was coloring it. Ooh, that's pretty. Beautiful. Are they parrots? I think so. Yeah, those are really nice. Um, Warren. My favorite character is also Shakatala. Nice. Okay, two votes for Shakatala. Yeah, I like him too. Great. I like Shaka- well, we haven't really gotten to know him. I yet, like so. Shakatala, but Smudge is my favorite character. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, what is it? Shakatala's cave and Beatrice and the ponies and fairies. Oh my gosh, that's a lot going on in that picture. I love that. Awesome. Yeah, right. And this is Abe. <laughs> Hi, Abe. Hi, thank you for watching this, today. This is one of my rescue bots. <laughs> a rescue bot? Cool. Did yeah. the rescue bot watch the show today too? thank you thank you dana thank you everybody 
Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights is a proud member of Kids Listen, a grassroots organization of advocates for high-quality audio content for kids. You can find more great podcasts at kidslisten.org or download the app. Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights is made and recorded by Dirt Road Theatre in Northfield, Vermont. Fadpack is written and performed by me, Marin Langdon Spillane, and written and created by Dominic Graceland and Oliver Spillane. The music you heard was composed by the amazing Nathan Lee. You can see more of his work at nathanlee.net. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you can join us next time. <laughs>